And today we're going to talk about whatever it takes. I want, before we even get into the message of Joel, it's just a three-letter or three-chapter book in the Bible. If you want to start turning there, you can. Uh, or if you want to find it in your Bible app, I'll have some of the scripture back behind me. But before we get there, I want to get you in the right mind space so that you can learn from this Old Testament book and apply it to your own lives today. And the big idea is just is basically this. God will do, I want you to hear this. And I want you to hear this for you. Maybe you need to hear this for a, for a friend or for a son or a daughter or a husband or a wife or a neighbor or a cousin or whoever. But I, I want you to really hear it for you. You can share the message with them later if someone else needs to hear this too. But the big idea is this. God will do whatever it takes to get your attention. And in your own life, I just want you to think about this in your own life. Has God done something in your life? Maybe God is doing something right now in your life to get your attention. Some of you might have the cold sweats right now because you're like, oh my gosh, it's going to be one of those sermons again where I want to slip out and make it look like I'm getting coffee, but I'm going to run to my car and leave. Uh, we have called you out. We've, we've locked the doors, and so nobody can get out today. We are going to do whatever it takes to keep you in here and listen to this message. God will do whatever it takes to get your attention. In my own life, my parents are here today. Say, everyone say, hey, hi, Mike and Carol. Yeah, so awesome, awesome parents, just like the Brady Bunch, and I love them. <laughs> I remember when I was little, we, you know, we had a lot of, my parents had a lot of kids, lots of, lots of, I've got a twin brother, an older brother, two younger sisters, and whenever we would, whenever we, we were with my dad and we would get ready, we would approach a street, my dad taught us to grab his hand. He didn't, he didn't grab our hands, he taught us to grab his hand. Because he wanted us to take ownership for our own safety. He didn't want to just, he didn't want to just be a helicopter dad and always be, you know, be grabbing our hands. And I really appreciate this. This is a great, this is a free tip for you today, parents. This is, this one's just totally free. It's not even in the Bible, but I think it's very biblical. That a good parent will do whatever it takes to protect his or her kids. And my dad figured if I get my kids to grab my hand, then they're going to think safety when they approach a street. And guess what he did early on when we didn't grab his hand? He spanked us. <laughs> I think I can say that because the, it's been long enough now that I don't think they can put him in prison for that. But he would spank us, and not in an abusive way. I'm so grateful that my, my dad spanked us, and I, he oftentimes would use a ping pong paddle until he broke all of those. And, um, and he would always say something like this, son, this is going to hurt you more than it hurts me. Anyone have a parent like that? Is it just me? Yeah. Okay. So my response to that was, well, then let me spank you, dad. And uh, that didn't work. But the point is he wanted, he, here's, how, here's how he figured it. It was much less painful for him to spank his kids until they learned because good parents teach through discipline, until they learn to take ownership for their own safety and make the right choices, he figured that would be a lot less painful than be, me being hit by a car in the street. Does that make sense? See, that as an adult, that makes so much sense. As a kid, it didn't make sense. I, you know, a lot of times kids, we, if there are any kids in here, listen to this, but kids don't always know as much as their parents know. That's tweetable. I'll wait for it if you need to tweet that out real quick. Kids don't always know as much as their parents know. And so I think that the smart kids are the ones who learn from discipline for their own good. Parents don't discipline because they're mean and spiteful and want to hurt their kids. Most parents don't. Good parents don't. And God's a good parent. God dis He does whatever it takes to teach his kids. 
And so in, in, the, in the, the prophet Joel is speaking to the people of God, and the people of God are just like any other kids. They, they have to learn the hard way. They make, they make stupid decisions, and then they have to learn the hard way. And what we're going to learn in this short book, it's so short, you can go read this um, after church today. You can probably, after the service, go to, the, go to your car in the parking lot and read this short book of Joel and still beat the Baptist to Chili's. So I encourage you to do that, to do that today because we're going to only focus on a few passages here, but this whole letter is really good. And the point is that God will do whatever it takes to get his people's, to get his children's attention. Here's the first, that's the first point. And here's, let's look at it in the scripture. Joel chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. The Lord gave this message to Joel, son of Pethuel. Everyone say Pethuel. Man, I have no idea if that's the way to say it, but that sounded really good. He said, hear this, you leaders of the people. Listen, all who live in the land. In all your history, has anything like this happened before? I'll tell you what he's talking about in a second. But before we move on to the next verse. I just want to point something out. He says this. Hear this, you leaders of the people. This message, first and foremost, is spoken to leaders. So I I, I really especially want parents and grandparents and employers. I want men to listen, not that women can't be leaders. God calls all of us to lead. But I think a lot of men shirk their leadership responsibilities So I want dads and husbands and grandpas and I want wives and moms and grandmas and I want everyone to listen. And any young person who someday wants to grow up and be a leader, I want you to listen to this because Joel's message, now we're going to apply this to all of us, but actually technically his message is to leaders. Because the way the leaders go is the way the people go. And so he says, hear this, you leaders of the people, listen, all who live in the land. Have you ever seen anything like this? Like what? Here's what he's saying. Tell your children about it in the years to come and let your children tell their children. Pass the story down from generation to generation. The day of the Lord is near, the day when destruction comes from the Almighty. How terrible that day will be. Now I'm going to read what he's talking about. After the cutting locusts finished eating the crops, the swarming locusts took what was left. And after them came the hopping locusts and then the stripping locusts too. See, what was happening is there was, a, there was a plague of locusts in Joel's day, and all the people were paying attention now. This is what God was doing in Joel's day to get their attention. He sent all these locusts. Now, locusts isn't just like a little grasshopper that you played with as a kid and pulled their legs off. That's not what a, lo- a locust, these locusts, would, they were swarms of locusts. You can just Google it. Just, there, was a, there was a locust plague in Jerusalem in 1915. Just Google that. And you'll see, and you'll, you'll start to get all these images of locust plagues. And it was, there were millions of locusts that would come in, and they absolutely decimated the land. They didn't, they didn't eat people. I just want you to know that. Some of you look really concerned. Locusts didn't eat people. They won't eat your face off, okay? But they would, lo, what locusts would do, is they would absolutely devour everything, all of the crops. In fact, eyewitness accounts of locust plagues say this. It lo- it lo- actually, lo- there's so many locusts that would take off and would, would swarm and would come into a, into a field and just start decimating the field that it literally looked like a storm cloud. 
if you could imagine how dense that looked. It literally looked like a storm cloud coming in, and it would come in and just absolutely ravish the land. So if you could imagine, now for us, you're just like, well, that's fine. I, oh, so I'd lose my little garden, right? It wasn't doing so great anyway, you know? No, this is, this is how they ate. This was their livelihood. This was everything for them. So it cr- literally created famine in the land, and that's how God got their attention. And this is what, this is what, how Joel starts. He's, he's, we always have to remember when we read Scripture, we have to read it in the original context first, and we have to understand what it was saying in that context, and then the second thing we should do is apply it to our context. So the original context is there were these locusts that were absolutely destroying the land, completely devastating the land. Read about it. Again, I, I, didn't, I just read a little bit of it. Read about it in the rest of chapter 1, and Joel is describing what they already knew. But for you today, I want you to apply this to your life. How is God getting your attention? What is God doing in your life to get your attention? You know, I think about 9-11. We, we, our very first public service at Alpine Church was on 9-9-2001. Two days later, 9-11 thing happened. Same year. And it got our attention. And I remember thinking at the time, I thought, our, the birth of this church will always be connected to this day in history. And it was a, such a sad, devastating day. And I, I still remember what it felt like to watch those reports. Like I didn't even, I, I felt like I was watching a movie. And that was such an intention-getting thing. And I think every generation has their thing that they can point to. You know, when I was growing up, it was the, it was the space shuttle that exploded. That happened when I was in junior high. How many of you remember that? We're, we're alive when that happened. I was in junior high, and I remember, because there was a teacher on the flight, so they Schools around the nation were showing it, and we, all these kids saw it live, this thing explode, and we didn't even understand what was happening. And the teachers didn't. I remember my teachers left the room crying. I'm like, what is going on right now? You know, for, for some of you who are just slightly more mature, it's a nice way to say older, um, you remember the JFK thing. Some of you maybe remember the Civil War. I don't know how old you are in here today. <laughs> you don't look that old, but... In Joel's generation, this was the thing that got their attention, the locust plague. And they were listening now. And I I want you to be listening now because some of you might be saying, it's not some little thing, little event that happened in my life, or or, or, sorry, some event that happened in in the nation or in the world. The thing that got your attention might be a, a, a financial crisis. It might be a relational crisis. It might be an emotional thing. It might be a, it might be something with your kids, something with your parents, I think every family, every individual has some of these, you know, you might call it a come to Jesus moment, where it kind of, God gets your attention, you kind of have to refocus, you have to ask some of these hard questions again, you have to kind of recenter, and that's exactly what was happening in Joel as we read through it. And the second thing then we see is that God's message is that now is the time to turn to God, and that his heart is for you, not against you. I want to just, before we read this, I just want to make sure you understand the message here. If I were God and you screwed up, I would do something to get your attention and then I would kill you. I don't know if I can say that. We might have to edit that out. Okay, I'm, just, I'm just saying that if I were God and you did to me what God's people did to him time and time and time and time again, I don't think I would be as patient and merciful and gracious as God was. So it's a good thing I'm not God. 
is the point. See, because the, the message of the prophets was all, it's crazy. The message of the prophets was always something like this. You screwed up again, bless your heart. Which just means what an idiot, what a moron. It's a Christian way of saying it. You screwed up again. You screwed up again. You screwed up again. You screwed, you just, the, the story of the Old Testament, I'll sum it up for you. God's, God loves his people. He makes promises to his people and they screw up. He gives them gifts and he loves them and he blesses them and they take, they take it for granted and they wander from him and start worshiping things that aren't God like wood and stone. And God punishes them and God gets their attention and they say thank you for a season and then they screw up again. That's the whole story of the Old Testament. That's it right there. And does that sound familiar? I think in our life, some of us, this is, this is what your life has been like. Love God, oh, high mountaintop experience. Then I sh- come down, I screw up. And then something terrible happens to me. God gets my attention, so now I start seeking him again, and I go up here. How wise the person who just continues to pursue God in good and in bad, in the good times and in the bad times, that we're just going to continue to trust God, and we're going to continue to pursue God. But for most of us, that's not how it works. What we need is we need God to come into our lives and remind us that he's on the throne and that we're not. And it, wisdom is, is, not, is learning from someone else's mistake. Knowledge is learning from your own. And some of you are wise and most of you are knowledgeable. Right? And parents, you can tell those stories to your kids and pray that they would learn and be wise instead of having to experience it and have all the heartbreak. But the point is this, that God is not like me And when you fail him over and over and over again, and you make him mad over and over and over again, and you offend him over and over and over again, he actually still has a heart that is for you. That's To me, that's just crazy. That is something that I still, I just can never get over, that his heart is for you as much as you've spat in his face, as much as you've worshipped other idols. And our idols aren't like the idols back then. We look at the wood and their stone and Baal and all this other worship, and we're like, you morons, how could you, how could you believe that that stuff is more valuable than God? And then we drive away in our car that's our idol to our home that's become our idol, to spend time with our families who can become our idols, and then on Monday you go to work, which can become an idol. And so we have idols in our lives too, but they just look different than they did 3,000 years ago. God isn't different. It's still the same God. And here's the good news today. His heart is still for you. Even if you have done what all of us do, which is to turn our back on God and forget about him and start chasing our own thing. Joel chapter 2 says this. This is why the Lord says, turn to me now while there is still time. So look, he got their attention with the locusts. Chapter 1, he establishes that. He says, hey, the locusts, The reason that God sent these locusts is so that you would actually pay attention to me, his prophet. And so now that I have your attention, grab my hand. Right? Like my dad would say. So if we, I still remember, I don't have very many memories. Maybe I blocked them out, I don't know. But I still remember that, I still remember being disciplined on on the side of the street because I started to walk out there without thinking about it. And again, dad didn't grab my hand. He would spank me, and he would put his hand out for me to grab it. And this is God saying, grab my hand. Turn to me now. I'm not going to do it for you. God, God doesn't pursue him for us. 
God can't make you pursue God. God's not going to make you pursue God. Parents, God's not going to make your kids pursue God. Wives, God's not going to make your husband pursue God. Husbands, God's not going to make your wife pursue God. Everyone gets to choose. And, and, but God is going to do things in our lives because he loves us to help us to, to open our eyes and say, okay, wait, so wait, can I go your way still? And he says, yes, turn to me now while there's still time. Give me your hearts, he said. Come with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Don't tear your clothing in grief, but tear your hearts instead. See, tearing your clothing was something that religious people would do to show everyone else that they meant business. Now, we don't tear our clothing like that. That's that's not a thing in our culture. But we go to church... Like we, just think about some of the outside, the external things that we do to try to send the signal that we mean business. Kids, we're going to church. Everyone pack up. We're get, get in the car. We're going to church. And we do this external thing, this outward thing that we think, well, now everyone's going to see me. My neighbor's going to see me driving to church. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dress my kids up real nice. And we're going to look presentable because we're proper Christian people. We go to church. We do this outward thing. We don't tear our clothes. But we do, we do our own outward things to try to make it look like we care. And God's like, I don't really care about what's on the outside. I don't care, what, I don't care if you have an I love Jesus tattoo. doesn't matter to me. Even your I love mom doesn't matter to me. That's fine. And whether you have tattoos or not, doesn't matter to God whatsoever. He doesn't care about the outside. He cares about the inside. He cares about your heart. He said, quit tearing your clothing. I'm so sick of your occasional outward show of repentance. I'm so sick of you making it look like for everyone else that you really want to pursue God this time. I don't care about that. I, I know people that I've, that I've counseled and we, my wife and I have counseled them in marriage counseling. And they're, they're, the husband is cheating on the wife. And I say, turn to God. God, doesn't, God is not pleased by that. Do you think you're going to get away with that forever? And he, he looks repentant. He acts repentant. And on his Bible app, he reads the Bible even more. And he posts it. And everyone sees it. And he posts scripture verses on Facebook and on Twitter. And everybody sees it. But I know he's still cheating on his wife. Nobody else does. So when the divorce, divorce, the divorce finally happens, everyone's like, I can't believe it. He, look at all the scripture he quoted. Look at all this, everything that he's tweeted. And, I've, and I'm saying, he's just doing that as a show. And God is saying, I don't care about the show. This isn't about you and everyone else and what everyone else thinks about you. This is about you and me. This is about you getting right with me. And I care about your heart. I don't care about your clothing. Don't tear your clothing in grief. Tear your heart in grief. Let God, let God change you from the inside and say, oh, it's like a punch to the gut. Like, God, I am so sorry that I am still looking at those websites when my wife goes to bed. Like, really mean it this time. And come to him with fasting and weeping and mourning like you really mean it. And you say, God, I really want to get down to business. And I want you to change me from the inside now. And I want to be free. And I want to be new. And this is what God is saying to the people. He goes on, he says, Return to the Lord your God, for he is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. This is actually a refrain all over the Old Testament. You, we find this dozens of times in the Old Testament, that the Lord is merciful 
and compassionate, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. It's crazy to me that the prophet is saying this right now because he opened the book saying, yeah, the locusts that are eating your faces off, those are from God. And now in chapter 2 he said, but the Lord is compassionate and gracious and slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. In other words, God's heart is for you. In spite of all this, God's heart is for you. God actually wants to give you another chance. God actually wants you to turn to him. He doesn't want to destroy you completely if you would just listen. He's not going to make you. He's going to invite you. And then it says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Some of you might recognize this from Romans. Peter says this in his very first sermon in Romans, or in in Acts. And then then Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 3. And Peter, Peter gets up and preaches this sermon in Acts, and, and he, he preaches this incredible sermon. It's a really basic sermon. He just said this, Jesus, whom you crucified, is Lord, and he's risen from the dead, and if you put your faith in him, you'll be saved. And then he, at the end, he says this, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And the beauty is this, that, that the way, I don't want you to think this is a self-help sermon. That's not what this is. I, I don't want you to just, we're not going to sell you books in the lobby says, you know, five steps to, to not be eaten by locusts in your life. No, the, the one step is this, turn to God, and Jesus Christ already did all the work for you on the cross. And if you would trust in him, then the Bible says that he'll, make, he'll save you and he'll make you new from the inside out. And this is a great message. There's one more thing I want to break down for you, and it's this, that God, God honors our trust in him. And his promise actually goes beyond forgiveness to restoration. All right, so look, if you, if you and I were at odds because I was in the right and you were in the wrong, let's just play it like that, okay? So I, I'm in the right, you're in the wrong. You did something super offensive. It was really bad, like really bad. And, you, and, and I just finally decided, you know, you apologized. I, what, if I'm a good guy, I'm going to accept your apology, but I'm going to be honest with you. I'm probably not going to be your friend anymore. I mean, I think, I think I know how to accept, I don't hold a lot of grudges, and I forgive people, and there are people in my life, that hypothetical I just mentioned is a real thing in my life, and it's probably a real thing in many of your lives, and many of you know that forgiveness is good for you, that you need to forgive, because if you don't forgive, then bitterness is just going to eat you up. Forgiveness has actually very little to do with the person who offended you or hurt you, so when you forgive, that's good for you, it's good for your soul. So I've learned that lesson and I try to forgive and I really can't think of any grudges that I hold for, toward anyone and maybe some people hold grudges toward me but I really don't hold any grudges. I release and forgive and that's good for me but I'm not friends with those people anymore. I know how to draw the line and I counsel people on that all the time. They're like, I, how could I possibly forgive? I say, I'm not, asking to be, I'm not asking you to be their best friend. I'm just saying you have to forgive them because if you don't, you're only hurting yourself. So, so many times, you as a follower of Jesus, you are called to forgive and you need to release it, but maybe you need to set up boundaries and not be in relationship with that person anymore, okay? Got that straight? That's my little forgiveness mini-sermon. Okay. God doesn't just do that. God actually forgives his people, but he doesn't cut off the relationship. That, 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 to me, that just seems counterintuitive. God forgives his people, but he doesn't do what I do. I set boundaries to protect myself. 
I don't want to be hurt again. I don't want to be frustrated again. I don't want to waste my time. Bless that person's heart. I just want to set that boundary, and I'm done with you. Maybe I have a little bit of issues i got to work on. Okay? God says this, I forgive you, but I want to go beyond forgiveness, and I actually want to restore you. I, I actually, God actually forgives the offender, and then he blesses the offender. He forgives a person who's been turning up his nose at God and who's been ser- serving other idols and seeking other gods. He forgives that person, and then he proactively blesses that person with gifts. That's the kind of God that we serve. And that's what Joel is getting at here in these last verses we're going to look at. And again, in chapter 2, the Lord says this. Uh, I love this. He says, I will give you back what you lost. He doesn't just say, you screwed up. I punished you. Let's call it even. You go on your way. I'm going to go on my way. No, he says this. I will give you back what you lost to the swarming locusts, the hopping locusts, the stripping locusts, and the cutting locusts. It was I who sent this great destroying army against you. It says it right there. God used this as a weapon of his discipline in their life. It was I who sent this great destroying army against you. And once again, you will have all the food you want, and you will praise the Lord your God who does these miracles for you. And never again will my people be disgraced. And then you will know that I am the Lord and there is no other. That's another refrain all through the Old Testament. I just want you to acknowledge that I'm God. You're not. Would you quit trying to be God? For your own good, would you quit trying to be God? Would you quit trying to say to God, no, thanks God for your advice, but I think I'm going to go this way instead. No, it's never going to work out for you. Just I want you to know that I'm God and you're not. You can't control these locusts. You can't control your business. You can't control the economy. You can't control your health. You can't control your kids. You can't control your marriage. You're not in control of any of these things. So if you would just submit to the real true God and do it God's way, you'll be pleasantly surprised. I just want you to know that I'm God and that there is no other God beside me. And he says, never again will my people be disgraced. He says, then after doing all of these things, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. And Joel is talking here about this day that we see in Acts. After Jesus died and rose again and the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples and the church was born. And now what happens is God begins to change us from the inside out because of the Holy Spirit. That's the day he was talking about. He's talking about the day that we live in. So I want to encourage you today. If God is trying to get your attention, I don't know by what. Maybe God has allowed some, something, the locust, whatever the locust is for you. He's allowed the locust into your house or into your, into your emotions or into your relationships or into your finances or whatever. Maybe he's allowed the locusts in. You're like, why is all this stuff happening to me? I pray that you would turn to God and say, God, I want to I tear my heart. I don't want to just do some outward thing to make it look like a care. I want to really care. And I pray that you would change me from the inside out by your Holy Spirit. That's the God's message, not just to Joel or through Joel to his people thousands of years ago, but that's his message to us today. Let's pray together. Lord, I, I thank you for your word and um, God, for your timeless message and, and for your timeless love, God, that you don't, you don't love us half-heartedly, that, that you don't 
you don't love us only when it's convenient for you, that you just love us because you are love. And I pray for the person who's here today. I'm sure there are many of us who have to respond to this. I pray that we would hear you and respond, Lord God, to what you're speaking to the church today. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.